Love what you hear? Be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, and even our D&D adventure. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today, we are going to get brutal. We're going to get violent. We're going to get swoodle, some might say. We're going to go crazy with the Blades of Chaos as we dive into God of War. Ares! Yeah, so we're going to talk about this guy. Does a lot of things to some people and some not people. And some people that are good. Some are some are bad. That's actually on the back of the box too. That's the description Sony gave, <laughs> and it's like, "Welcome to God of War," where he does some things <laughs> that might be questionable. Well, we're even gonna like dive into like some of the marketing where mm-hmm. it was still 2005. It was still the wild west of marketing. In all honesty, <laughs> well, they they did pull back a little bit because. It was still hot topic of, of, of video games with kids' violence, so they're mm-hmm. like, we can only show so much. And it is. And so we're going to dive into a bit of that and just how God of War kind of established another foothold for Sony in you know the top tier of console exclusives. Uh-huh. And especially this franchise is still going on today. This franchise, for the most part, has been pretty consistent. I, I What was it? Ascension that came out in 2013, and then they took the break to do the soft reboot for the 2018 release. Like, it's a household name. Yeah, they pretty much stole a page from our book, you know, kind of resetting, creating a, you know, a new story <laughs> to go along with. So uh, please credit us next time. That's all we ask. So, yeah, before we were ever a podcast, like, there's going to be a podcast out there that's going to do a reboot one mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, really, it's awesome to see where this first spawned from, especially from uh, Santa Monica Studios, who was a very new studio mm-hmm. when they decided to do God of War. But that's not without the credit of David Jaffe, you know, that we'll talk about. Yeah, and, and we see it more and more again. It's it's so neat to see these studios that, you know, they want to get their they want to cut their teeth on something. They want to get mm-hmm. something out there and they put it all in and you see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, just diving into the brutality of this game and it was so new at the time because you really could just go wild on literally anyone good bad no matter what they they could be your victim from the the blades of chaos 
Yes. So let's dive into the game itself, which Santa Monica Studio describes as, quote, Clash of Titans meets heavy metal. So God of War is a third-person hack-and-slash action-adventure game exclusive to the PlayStation 2, starring the ghost of Sparta, Kratos. The game was innovative at the time, not only for its gameplay, but its cinematic camera work as well, and the balanced amount of quick-time events in the game, not really forcing them too often on the player within the game itself. The player will find themselves against a multitude of enemies that appear within Greek mythology, like Medusa, Minotaurs, Harpies, Cyclops, and down to the Sisters of Fate, and the god Ares himself. You will be tasked in the game with killing each and every one of them with extreme and aggressive prejudice. Now, when Kratos kills an enemy, he actually will get some of his health back, but... Whether it's good, bad, civilian, or not, it all counts, making mm-hmm. Kratos kind of the ultimate anti-hero. Yeah. Because uh, we learn early on in the game that Kratos is actually forced by the god Ares to kill his family. Mm-hmm. And this now causes Kratos to kind of lose all of, you know, care of anything and yeah. just a, a plot for revenge. Yeah, he leaves humanity behind, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the player can use melee attacks with the Blades of Chaos or magic attacks such as Medusa's head or any of the other powers that are granted to Kratos by the gods. We see Kratos getting uh, powers even from Zeus himself, which mm-hmm. is Zeus's fury, bringing down lightning bolts. You know, and it changes up the gameplay immensely and allows you to even get higher combos. Yeah. Adding to that, as you continue to go through your adventures, you find chests that contain these red orbs to level up, as well as skill abilities to eventually get new weaponry, mm-hmm. upgrade kind of your combo sets, and it just allows for a different rate of play on whatever style that you, you know you can put into the game itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are also various puzzles scattered throughout the game, which some are introduced early on, and you may be stumped thinking, why can't I do these? Well, they're actually only truly available to beat later on in the game Mm -hmm. as story progresses. From these puzzles, all of which are unique, the player can defeat these challenge rooms, which are these puzzles, to obtain five sets of armor, which include Dairy Bastard, which is a great one, you're a cow, (laughs) Bubbles, Ares' armor, Tycoonius, and Chef of War. It's, It's incredible. Hey, listen. You got to grill up a nice patty when you're out and about. Well, I love it's a it's supposed to be a serious game, but then they they have you dress up as a cow or the chef of war. Like, why not? Exactly. Why not? <laughs> the Pokemon. <laughs> exactly. It's centered around Greek mythology, so we're going to see a lot of characters that we know, especially throughout the series. And that's that's it. I mean, going back, it's such. I don't want to say an easy kind of template to take, but you've already gotten your material written for you. Um, that you can really expand upon and make your own. Mm-hmm. And that's really what they did. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about how they went about and really who the studio is. Mm-hmm. Founded in 1999 by Alan Becker as an internal developer for Sony, the Santa Monica Studios' mantra was simple, fun games that sell. The studio's first game would be Connecticut, a futuristic driving game that overall had good mechanics, but honestly just wasn't fun and flopped. Connecticut did prove one thing, though. Santa Monica Studios had a firm understanding of the ins and outs of the PlayStation 2, and it was only a matter of time before they could utilize it to bring something amazing to the table. Yeah, and, and I've I've learned this is that developing for the PS2 was not easy, so if you had a studio that could understand it and utilize it, then you know they're going to produce something good. Even developing for the PlayStation 1 was hard. Mm-hmm. They rarely sent dev kits. 
They were no, so secretive. No one really knew what to put into it. I mean, they did that with Crash Bandicoot. They actually had to basically hack their way in mm-hmm. to figure out how to put the game on there. <laughs> well, we're going to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But let's dive into developing the game itself. The studio would start to grow, and we're going to start seeing some key players make their way into the studio, okay. such as David Jaffe. And this is where really developing the game comes into play, because it's it's his story about creating this game. Now, after working on Twisted Metal 2, game director David Jaffe wanted to release a new IP and had been pushing to do so for a while. He was given the green light to work on a game called Dark Guns, but after years of development, the studio pulled the plug on it and Jaffe was put back on Twisted Metal Black. He was told that if he did this game, he would have another opportunity to release a game of his own. Once Twisted Metal Black was released, Sony would finally let Jaffe run wild, but only after he would do another game, which is Kinetica, which is what we talked about. It's kind of the first Santa Monica Studios game that Mm -hmm. didn't really do so well. After releasing the game in 2001, Sony would let Jaffe work on his new IP. When Jaffe presented his idea to Shuhei Yoshida, who was the former Sony vice president, Yoshida felt the game wasn't innovative. Jaffe told him that the game wasn't about innovation, but execution through gameplay. This convinced Yoshida to greenlight the project. Jaffe would start to work on a game titled Dark Odyssey, starring Dominus. Sony's marketing team overall, they didn't like the name of the character or the title of the game itself, since it felt too intellectual. The title and main character needed to be renamed. Marketing would come up with the name God of War, but the studio felt the name sounded like a game about someone just killing people. It was honestly too literal. Yeah, that's That's what it's about, guys. Yeah, but when it came to renaming Dominus, some new names were thrown around, uh, honestly, before they finally settled on Kratos. Kratos in Greek mythology is one of Zeus's henchmen. He actually chained Prometheus to the column. And fun fact, it's actually pronounced Kratos. Fun fact for the day, guys. That's it. Thank you. (laughs) Lead environment artist Stig Osmussen's name was almost used for the main character due to a misunderstanding in emails when they were going back and forth, kind of figuring out the final iteration of it. Because mm, he sent a list of names and then just just put Stig at the end. And everyone's like, Stig, that's a good name. Like, it, marketing almost went with Stig instead of Kratos. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> that's my email signature. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and it gets a lot more interesting because now we, we're, we're starting to rename the character and then... You know, the concept and designs of the character also were changing a lot. So production of the game would start in 2002 with a team of 20. And when coming up with concepts of the game, they sparked from Jaffe playing Amanusha and wanted to create a game similar to it, but with Greek mythology instead of Japanese mythology. Jaffe would read the book Mythology while he was in Japan amidst the planning of the game. As he read the book, he would make check marks and highlight areas he thought that were cool and he felt that needed to be added to the game. So even though the studio was basing the game off of Greek mythology, they didn't want to be tied down by it. Instead, they took the quote-unquote greatest hits of it and wrote that into the game. When Jaffe asked the studio their thoughts on making the game around Greek mythology, most were ecstatic about it. Overall, one-fifth of the notes that were made from the book actually made it into the game. Jaffe hoped that he could take more of those notes and make their way into newer God of War titles. Jaffe would also get a lot of inspiration from listening to Queen throughout the development of the game, specifically the Flash Gordon soundtrack. There you go. He also drew inspiration from Indiana Jones' Raiders of the Lost Ark with, quote, Raiders was the movie I saw as a kid that made me want to do creative stuff with my life. 
I wanted to make a game that made players feel like I felt when I was 10 watching Raiders. Originally, the game was actually going to be in first person, since the studio felt they could add something new to the genre, but quickly scrapped this concept. Instead, Jaffe would then look to Devil May Cry as a huge source of inspiration for the combat, and Eco for the puzzles. Since both games had just recently come out, the studio was fixated on them. Lead programmer Tim Moss also wanted each part of the game to be as unique as possible. This meant down to no two doors opening the same way, which was honestly hell for the developers to kind of custom code each portion of it, where typically you'd build out a framework that could work together and you'd <laughs> stop having to do these minutiae. Yeah, instead of just like, okay, we got the door system down. Okay, so how many doors are in the game? 100? So you need 100 door systems. And there's like, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily for them, Kratos was also not an easy task. <laughs> Nothing was easy. No. The next thing the studio had to do was honestly try and figure out how they're going to create Kratos himself, which took almost a year and a half before they settled on a final design. When it came time for the overall design of Kratos, Jaffe would throw out the keywords, quote, brutal, nasty, violent, antisocial, pissed off, angry, and F you. Okay, so they described Jesse. <laughs> Lead concept artist Charlie Wen would struggle to create the character since there was no story to go with him at the time. Wen was told to simply come into work and get angry. Hulk out and just get angry, eat a burrito, have a good time. <laughs> Is that what you do when you're angry? Yes, I just angrily eat burritos. <laughs> I want to see this. I need a burrito right now. <laughs> no. So basically, just told me to get angry. So to come in kind of get pissed off, you know, get in that mindset. You know the mindset. Worked up, yeah. It's worked up. I, I live in that mindset. That's what I told you. This is describing <laughs> you perfectly. <laughs> and they told him, you know, when you're angry, eating your burritos, let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens with it, and we'll go with it. At first, Kratos resembled a more elf-like character with Disney animations. <laughs> I love that. He was just kind of very jolly, swinging along. Uh, I believe there were some la-la-las coming out as well. <laughs> Other early versions of Kratos included a blind monk with a baby, a traditional warrior with flying swords, and a slave that had escaped his master wrapped in chains. So these are, I know that you and I have probably seen a lot of these throughout different pieces of media or history, you know, whether they take on an element from mythology, kind of that like chained down, mm -hmm. uh, blind monk. I mean, we even see some of that in like League of Legends. With, it's like, just Lee all the a lot of tropes, essentially. It's a yeah, it's a lot of tropes of struggle, defeat, loss, sadness mm -hmm. that they were trying to pull into it. The concept of the chains would stay and interlock into the chains of chaos concept for the character. From the beginning, though, Jaffe knew that Kratos would be a very brutal and violent character. They would look to Edward Norton's character in American History X as a huge source of inspiration for this. And as concept for the character went on, the armor was slowly removed until it was just Kratos and his loincloth. And originally his tattoos were blue, but they didn't reflect the character's violent nature, so they changed it to red. I mean, it makes sense. Even if you're just thinking of that psychology of color, you know, red being this one side love passion, but the other more of that anger, the bull's charge, you know, and it, and it, it gets you. Or McDonald's and Wendy's, you know, they use red, so it makes you hungry. Uh, again, I, I think this might be a running trope of Jesse as a psychopath <laughs> that can only watch murders and thinks that, like, yes, me slashing the civilians, you know what I can go for? A McFlurry. <laughs> Yum. Or Oreo McFlurry. Oh, specifically <laughs> an Oreo McFlurry, because you know what? 
you got to be delicious <laughs> when you're being devious. Initially, development wasn't going well for the game. The studio struggled for a long time to get the game to just work and getting it to work well. Several times, Jaffe thought that the game was going to get canceled, and he even considered canceling it himself. The studio would power through, though. And it really broke down to the staff and Jaffe kind of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Of him being defeated, and they're like, look, we've advanced some of this. Like, we can do this. Yes. And him the same way, being that powerhouse of it, you know, still having a, a pretty damn cheery attitude throughout this. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, because this is his baby. It's his second chance, his second coming to try and figure this out, given the project from Sony. So I, you've probably had those things. I know a lot of people in the audience have had those things where, and there's those goofy Facebook memes of it, but it's like one more step and you're done. Mm-hmm. Or like behind one more door is the final project and a lot of people stop right there. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good thing they pushed through and were able to do this. Because one thing that really did hold them back, but is obviously the main concept for the game, is the combat. Yeah. Jaffe thought that Japanese video games from studios you know, like Konami and Capcom had the best combat systems ever. And thus, the studio would want to replicate their own for God of War. They wanted a combat system that's straightforward, but open to let the players determine their own style. Which, again, brings in that idea of different weaponry, button combos, Mm -hmm. air combos, ground combos, spin combos. Just so much to allow you to play the way that you want to play, but still being on a rail system to a bit. Linear. A very linear system that's within its own economy. Yeah. The studio created a combat system with two layers. First, the macro layer, in which players can use straightforward combat, magic, or other means to defeat the enemy. This system was a more moment-by-moment use of combat, all of which will lead the player to gaining health once they take out said enemy. Then we have the second one, the micro system. This is where the player's individuality comes into play and they can figure out the right move combination for their own style. This is a game definitely where you play it. You have cert- like you have people who- that will utilize this one weapon, mm-hmm. or I do this attack, this attack, use use this power, and that's it. Like it-, it definitely lets you get creative with killing people. And we see a lot of games developed at games like Yakuza Zero, where you can change your own combat system to those suit your needs Mm -hmm. and it actually helps fight certain enemies so you can kind of change it around see what works for you they did that same thing with kratos and the weaponry and abilities that you have Mm -hmm. yeah and and when jaffe talks about this he said quote the goal of our combat is to make the player feel brutal letting their inner beast free and just going nuts jaffe never felt that the studio didn't have to pull back on the violent combat since it was just so much fun. The brutal combat system came from the studio creating a video style guide of real-life violent fights. So when the developers watched the videos, they saw how vicious they were, and Jaffe wanted players to have the same reactions when playing that game. Because we've all seen, like, a brutal, like, fist fight, like, mm-hmm. on YouTube, and Jaffe would just... I mean, sit- you've seen a lot more because <laughs> you're sadistic more in like flurry ways, but... To us normal people, yes, we have seen one or two. <laughs> but, you know, Jaffe would study how they would react to it and be like, that's the reaction I want to this game. It's it's that, it's the cringe, not cringe in like the cringeworthy new internet ways, <laughs> but cringe in the like, oh, oh, ah, that's got to hurt ways. Because mm-hmm. you do see that in the game with like the brutal like double whip around to like kind of yes. the blood splurts coming out, the chops in half, the arms going, the heads going. And it's, in my opinion, cartoony enough to not have too, like, viscera of a reaction. Yeah. But enough to where, like, ooh, 
that was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, like, like that kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. It mixes the mixes and melds. Yeah. Jaffe felt that the game needed to be replayable. Jaffe felt that the game needed to be replayable and different difficulty settings were not a good indicator of replayability. Instead, he wanted the players to go through the game to either get more collectibles or to try out new combat styles, as we had said. It actually took the studio a while to find an animation team that could capture their vision for that combat style that could give you that replayability and that individuality that you wanted for your Kratos. Mm -hmm. But once they assembled the team, the process was smooth from there on out. The studio had one goal in mind when developing the game as seamlessly as possible, with Tim Moss stating, quote, spend the last month of development on a beach while the design team finished the game. Every choice we made as a team was going to make sure we would get to the beach. This would lead to all the design tools being data-driven so that the developers don't bottleneck the process of creating the game. The design team was hit pretty hard throughout the development of the game, but Moss felt that they could handle it. And luckily they did. Mm -hmm. But really one of the things that held them back for a while was some of the marketing. Mm -hmm. And our first really look at that was over at E3 2004. And in February of 04, Sony would announce God of War with a trailer. And later that year at E3 04, it would let those players and journalists get their hands on the game to play said demo. The game won several awards at that E3, but a lot of players would have trouble with the camera system, along with a few other minor bugs. Since the camera system was modeled like the one in Devil May Cry, the studio would have to adjust the camera in every room or area since every room had its own system. This would lead to extensive playtests and reviews of data from E3. The core of the game overall would stay pretty much the same, you know, after E3. Yeah. With those tweaks and twerks of the camera system. Yeah, because they said basically it's like a different kind of angle in every room that you're doing or Mm -hmm. just a certain way. So, again, that's one of those things. No two things can be the same. And then when they're like, the camera's kind of sticky, they're just like, "Uh uh-oh. There's a lot of rooms in this game. Yeah, and and these changes at E3 did bring some more minor changes around the studio. Yeah. The studio would evaluate almost all of the designs put into the game on how important they were and whether or not they were honestly even a good idea. If a decision affected gameplay too much, regardless of how much the studio wanted to implement it, it had to be cut. This was obviously a lesson from its predecessor, Kinetica. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had a game where systematically it was good, it worked. It wasn't fun. Yeah, like, and a lot of studios learn that over the years is you you cannot get attached to too many things. No, you have to make sure that, yes, you are creating this piece of art and this game for you, mm-hmm. but you're selling it to the player. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You have to get others to do it so you can keep creating your art. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's that fine balance of it. And, and they I think they really did see that for this game and see it in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jaffe was pretty infamous in the studio as a, quote, feature creep, meaning right as a certain feature or or design was finalized, he would come in at the last minute and want to change something fundamental about it. He also had a bush he would stand behind uh, with, (laughs) with, funny enough, an Oreo McFlurry, where he would just stare at people and slurp on it as they're finishing up stuff. Is that done yet? I want to put some new stuff in, by the way. <laughs> and that's exactly why he stays a feature creep. <laughs> Which Tim Moss described as one of the hardest things to deal with. 
Eventually, Moss implemented the three times rule, meaning that if Jaffe asked for something to be changed three times, then they would look into it. They wouldn't change it, but they would at least start to look into it to be like, are you really wanting to change this or are you just messing with us right now? Hey. It's me, Jaffe, in the bush with my McFlurry. <laughs> Third time. <laughs> now, God of War was released with a team of around 45 Sony employees behind the game shipping at 1.5 megabytes, which was huge for the PS2 at the time. Overall, the last two weeks of development saw over 500 bug tickets. This meant that the programmers would not make it to the beach. But they did get a McFlurry. <laughs> Everyone got one. Uh, really quick, I do want to touch on this lawsuit that did spawn from this game which it's a super bizarre story but in 2008 jonathan bassoon dath and jennifer barrett herzog sued sony over copyright infringement of god of war they felt that the game was too terribly familiar with their the adventures of own owen's olympic adventure a screenplay for something called olympiade the two claimed that they sent the screenplay to sony in early 2002 and sony simply used it for god of war the case was dismissed March 8th, 2010. Yeah, so as far as we can tell from the research that, you know, the group of us within FTF have put together trying to get this, because I know Jesse approached us individually with it and was like, hey guys, this one's a little tough. Can we dig into it? And as far as we can tell through this lawsuit, it's honestly just thrown out either through just a long line of litigation going back and forth, whether pocketbooks ran dry or if a judge just could not find enough of a similarity between the two. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of behind closed doors wraps within kind of the halls of Sony now. It's one for the record books. Yeah, it's, one, it's definitely, you know, something that really is, it was, it was a minor uh, uh, speed bump essentially for you know development of the rest of the games mm -hmm. but overall the development as we had talked about was you know shaky at times and even though they were going through constant iterations of designs and the combat system they were able to produce god of war they were and, and going back a little bit talking about e3 and continuing the idea of marketing and what it really took to make it successful it honestly actually struggled it struggled to find a good balance of showing too much violence in its advertising due to the climate of the time. I mean, this was, a, this was a big time when it was like the second coming of cracking down on video games again. Mm -hmm. uh, video games are too violent. It's causing these shootings. It's causing this aggression at home. It's, 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 it's the bad thing. I couldn't play Grand Theft Auto growing up because my parents had that same belief. Like I had cool parents. <laughs> <laughs> but I also played at a friend's house. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. And as we said, you know, this God of War wouldn't escape this grip of people cracking down on games because of the crazy violence that's in there. They said imaginations would run rampant. Mm -hmm. Who knows what they could do jumping 20 feet in the air with twin kunai <laughs> with chains. I mean, yeah, exactly. This inspired people to pretend that they're, you know, Greek soldiers killing gods. You know, it, it's just crazy how you can see something like this and think that it's going to kind of ruin a child's mind, even though. We, we've talked about it, that there have been countless studies that have been done in early development and even later on. These games aren't going to affect uh, a child's mind. No, but I understand trying to find a scapegoat or something that can ease a parent's mind or something at that time can kind of push it. Mm -hmm. But it did make it past it, and it did actually have some of its own spinoffs. Mm -hmm. It would see several on different platforms after its release, most notably on mobile with God of War Betrayal. 
developed by Java Ground and Daybreak Game Company, and on the PlayStation Portable with God of War Chains of Olympus, developed by Ready at Dawn. But yeah, and some more kind of traditional marketing uh, tactics that they did was they released God of War Unearthing the Legend. And it's a documentary that breaks down the story of God of War with actual Greek mythology experts and the uh, developers from God of War itself. And what they do is they have the experts compare the story to real life Greek mythology and they kind of talk about how that they would actually work. And they're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense because in this Greek mythology story, it's similar to this one. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of cool. I think it's like 30 or 40 minutes. I'd say you can look it up on YouTube. Just look up God of War Unearthing the Legend. It's actually interesting. And it's worth it because it definitely leads into our campaign. And and really, like you said earlier, taking some of those liberties, but also really going along with as as much as we want to call real Greek mythology, because it's it's an oral history slowly written down and, and formed. Mm-hmm. So as these liberties come out, it you know forms its own way to carry on that tradition. Yeah. So Kratos is a brutal warlord who serves the gods of Olympus. He gained his power from the god of war Ares at the face of death. He would swear his allegiance to him as long as he would spare Kratos's men and allow them to slay their enemy. Kratos would be binded with the Blades of Chaos and would do Ares' bidding from there on out. However, Kratos would wage a brutal war wherever Ares saw fit, eventually leading to slaughtering the worshippers of Athena. During this attack, he unknowingly slaughtered his wife and daughter. Their ashes would then coat his body for eternity, and he became the ghost of Sparta. Ares put Kratos under a spell in order for him to kill his family and not see their faces, basically, mm-hmm. just kind of see them as... It's like a blind rage, kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of shapes he's going after to, mm-hmm. to kind of kill for this this god. And it also is because he, Ares was like, your family's going to hold you back. That's why he had him kill his family. Mm-hmm. And he's trying, to, he's trying to not console him, but say, listen, dude, I did this to you because they were holding you back from your true potential, mm-hmm. from what you can be. I chose you. I wouldn't choose everyone on this battlefield, but I chose you to spare and serve me because I know what you can be. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where it goes. And I guess it, it does come to bite him in the butt because Kratos is saying, okay, you're right. Now that I am free of my family, I have one person that I have my eyes set on, and it's you. Yeah, that's where he swears revenge against Ares, and that's he's also like, we're breaking up. I'm going to go serve all the other gods. Yeah, breaking up. I'm going to start a new life in you know Portland, Oregon. I'm <laughs> getting out of here, and I'm getting new friends. <laughs> Ten years later, the game starts with Kratos slaying the Hydra for Poseidon. Haunted by his memories of slaying his family, he calls upon Athena to help him get rid of these memories. Athena informs Kratos that Zeus wants Ares dead, and only then will he be forgiven for his actions. Kratos sets out to kill Ares. He makes his way to Athens, where Ares is waging war against his sister Athena. And from there, Kratos meets with Athena's oracle, who informs him that the only way to defeat Ares, who is a god and at the end of the day, Kratos isn't, is with the power of Pandora's box, which is located on the back of the titan Kronos. He makes his way through the temple on the back of Kronos, defeating all enemies in his path, and eventually finds Pandora's box. As he finds it, I love this scene of the game. Ares throws a spear from miles away and kills Kratos, sending him to the pits of Hades. And you know, as that happens, Ares' harpies then take Pandora's box. Because Elevate's just like, I found the box. And Ares is like, cool. It's just like, it's so silly to watch, but... 
it was the style of the game at the time. No, and, and, and it's well done in the idea of, of how that works with the gods mm-hmm. kind of knowing these things. If you haven't seen the newer anime on Netflix, Blood of Zeus, um, they, they take some of these ideas as well mm-hmm. and, and add it into that. And like the idea of being able to, you know, from miles away, see or know what's going on. And use your abilities to take it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're also talking about gods here. They can do just about anything. In Hades, Kratos is able to fight his way back to the surface and is actually able to help find Pandora's box in Athens and uses it to defeat Ares once and for all in a grandiose battle. Yeah, because Ares, let's say 10 stories high, I don't know the exact amount, but you know, Ares grows large and so does Kratos and that's where this this battle ensues. No, I think I think it is I think it's 10 stories. I think they went by stories back then. <laughs> and I think that's exactly how they did it. I don't know. Athena then tells Kratos that though he is forgiven, his memories can never be erased. Broken, Kratos casts himself off a cliff to commit suicide, but Athena saves him. Athena takes Kratos to Olympus and grants him throne of the god of war, taking the place of Ares and bringing Kratos into godhood. Mm-hmm. So it ends with him being being the new head honcho of war. And it's a very fitting story. Uh, there's a lot of Greek myths that are like this that do tell a story of uh, loss, love, and consequences. Mm-hmm. Of, yes, you can do that thing, or yes, we can help you with this, but you're going to have to live with what you did or what happened. Mm-hmm. Though That's the way of humanity. And even if you reach godhood as you have, you're still part human in that way and can mm-hmm. never get rid of it. And what I really like with Greek mythology is even the gods aren't perfect. No, they're the exact opposite. They're, they're, they're basically just superhumans. Mm-hmm. They, they have these abilities, but they still have human temptation. They, they still seek war against one another and involve humans un, not unknowingly. But knowingly, without care. Yeah, I mean, and they can not be too terribly kind. Like Zeus, you know, he's not a good guy, really. He kind of lives to screw with people a lot. And that's, again, going back to that blood of Zeus I was talking about, it's basically one of his bastard children that comes and it's like, hey, dad, you're my dad. And Zeus is <laughs> oh, like... I love the plot so far. Yeah, and Zeus... Uh, it's a great story because Zeus is kind of looking over him, but everyone Olympus is super pissed off. Like, dude... We told you, could you stop just sleeping with everyone down there? <laughs> That's that, We've got enough gods up here. That is that is Zeus. We have described <laughs> Zeus. Stop sleeping with everyone. Yes. So it's 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 such a neat story they put together and like you said, obviously took liberties with it, but that's what great, you know, novel and storytelling and history telling, you know, kind mm-hmm. of in this way have done and and telling parables and and everything that's been passed down. And I think they really did that well. Yeah. I they As I said, they had a documentary where you had Greek mythology experts say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. This compares to this this story within Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So that was overall the story, a very condensed story, mm-hmm. a hashtag detailed walkthrough of the campaign for the original God of War. But there were things missing there that would have been in the game initially, but had to be cut due to one reason or another. So let's yeah, dive wh- into whether, that. Whether they had taken it out uh, for memory options mm-hmm. or going back to the mantra, make a fun game, 
you know, if it's not fun or if it doesn't work right now, mm-hmm. maybe using a later title or unfortunately scrap it all together. Yeah. And let's start with Icarus Wings. Now, these were cut due to the studio wanting to focus primarily on getting the rest of the game mechanics perfected. So throwing flying into there, they were just like they were pretty much assuming that they were going to get a sequel. So they're like. Put that off to the next game. And especially on your first game, trying to debug flying on <laughs> PS2. I mean, that would probably be a speedrunner's dream to have it in the game of like somehow breaking every different part of it by flight. But it's it's pretty good they kept it out because it. I think it would have outpaced the game weirdly. Mm-hmm. We also had the Harpy Vulture boss that guarded Pandora's box. Unfortunately, this boss was cut due to time constraints. Yeah. Which is, again, that's mainly the main reason for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But also, they had an elevator level that they, they had to cut, and it was actually cut last minute because they demoed the level several times to the press beforehand, and a lot of people, I think, were expecting it. I know uh, Jaffe had said that he really regrets that they cut it, but it, it had to be cut for, for whatever reason. Time constraints, uh, bugs, you know, whatever they had to do. It was cut. Mm-hmm. And finally, Kratos originally wasn't going to have a viewable face. Instead, it would have been kept behind a mask. I think that's probably one of the best changes. Mm-hmm. You actually can humanize him. You get to be that character. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some great videos. I think Polygon did one as well, talking about when you're able to see your character's face, you can humanize, you can relate. But when you play a no-name masked character, you lose all sense of that. And you don't get to build onto that character or care. Mm -hmm. And I think with this game, we actually did care about Kratos. Even if, you know, we we thought he was not a good person or was on a quest for no reason, you could at least understand and feel a little bit sympathy kind of being in his shoes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so moving on from cut material, I want to dive into... I guess the several iterations of what would have been a movie mm-hmm. and even what still might potentially be a movie. You know, so this started all the way back in 2008 because X-Men, the last stand director, Brett Ratner, announced, you know, fall 2008 that he would be directing a God of War movie. Now, by February 2009, he would reveal that the, that the project itself was being shelved. But then we had David Self, who was also going to be a director at one point for the movie. He would have a script written, but this was before the movie, like Clash of Titans, 300 and Immortals were released. So some felt that it was rather dated years later. Overall, early drafts of the script, overall, early drafts of the script would show that the movie would be extremely similar to the game. But the ending was changed in order to leave the plot unresolved, potentially leading to the sequel. At the end of the movie, Kratos would cast himself from the cliff after rejecting godhood, and as he was falling, he would look to the screen and say, Your move, Hades. And then it would cut to black. That's got to be the worst ending I've ever heard of. Nope. That is the most 2000s ending I've (laughs) ever heard. Especially after, you know, as it's a 300 Immortals, uh, 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 Clash of the Titans, like... No, no, no. See, what I need... All I needed was some, like, some some shades. <laughs> Your move, Hades. I hear it gets quite hot down there. Put on some shades. <laughs> and that's that. I would, I would watch it. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'm going to make that. Years later, the project was revived. The original script was rewritten by Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, who had previously worked on Saw 4, 5, 6, and 3D, and was going to be produced by Universal Pictures. The pair wanted Kratos to be more humanized, like Christopher Nolan's Batman. 
the new script would show Kratos while he still had a wife and kid, and it would eventually lead to him becoming the ghost of Sparta. So, so, so prologue of the prologue. Which actually sounds a little bit more interesting. It really does. And it's it's actually, in a way, easier, too, because mm-hmm. you don't have to make this god-whipping buff dude. Mm-hmm. You can have more of a humanized version of it. And have the gods at work behind the scenes, which I think would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Like the hierarchy and the politics of that kind of stuff. And much more of the politics aspect of, you know, like let's say Kratos got a a great bounty and hunted Mm -hmm. a deer for his family. But, you know, that was Artemis. That was Artemis helping out in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, or or something else. I thought that would be kind of a neat way. And I really really like that because it humanizes the gods, shows what's going on, and can show the buildup to Ares doing it instead of Kratos just being a random like really good soldier mm-hmm. he's now been groomed for this position yeah. and I think at one point it was either this version or the 2008 version Daniel Craig was going to be considered which Daniel Craig is kind of skinny I want me a beefy Kratos I want Krog. <laughs> Daniel Krog. <laughs> the budget for the movie was going to be about $150 million. It has since been put on hold, and nothing has been heard about it since 2013 until late 2020. Even I just saw an article pop up like six days ago. Rumors are now circulating about a God of War movie or television show. Now, are we talking OG God of War as we're discussing today? Or are we talking the newer God of War that follows more of the Norse line? There's rumors for both. There's rumors for both. I would love it because you could even have a series that follows both of them. Well, there's speculation that it's going to be set in between the the, uh, first phase and second phase of Greek mythology to Norse mythology. So the transition period of it. But there is a comment coming out about that. So people are automatically saying that's not going to happen. Either way, I I think... I know Sony has talked about this as well, that they truly never, after this whole hubbub of their their new titles, basically once the PlayStation 2 started establishing a lot of their titles and mascots in a way, they really never wanted media like this. Yeah. So it's interesting to see this Uncharted having a, a movie. Yeah, it, that's going to be coming out. The They're, they're once again working on The Last of Us and... Uh, Naughty Dog and Sony have said this is just the beginning. So we're going to be seeing a lot more. We're going to be seeing a lot of Daniel Craig. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to be typecast for all these he's, characters. He's playing Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> he's just playing them all. He's, he's actually going to nutty professor it. <laughs> no, so it's, it's really cool that we're seeing this. We've had those periods of bad game movies. All of them. Some of them are great. Sonic, great. <laughs> Love, uh, I love different me, discussion. I love me Olive Garden now <laughs> and Zillow.com. Dude, that's how I bought my house. Thank <laughs> you, Sonic. No, but we're we're seeing more of that where it's taken seriously in its art form and not just an, a, a strict adaptation mm-hmm. where you have to be by the book exactly what it is, although the fans will not like it. You can take those liberties, same as they did with mythology, apply it to a different format. And make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, as long as it's a do what God of War did with Greek mythology. And we're seeing that Halo is supposed to be having finally a TV show coming out. Um, we're you know we're seeing all of, all of these coming out. Angry Birds got a movie. I mean, two movies, unfortunately. Two movies. I mean, we're in the dawn of a new day. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Detective Pikachu as well. Yeah, you know what? Not bad. But I digress. Let's go <laughs> from the big screen down to your little radio. To the music. To the music of the game. The God of War original soundtrack was largely a collaboration project 
being composed by Gerard Marino, Mike Reagan, Winfred Phillips, Ron Fish, and Chris Velasco. The soundtrack focuses heavily on an orchestral sound featuring ethnic Arabian percussion to help bring a new flavor to the orchestral genre within video games. Additionally, the soundtrack would include lyrics in Greek as well as Persian. It was released on March 1st, 2005 in the United States by Sony Computer Entertainment as an exclusive product for the Sony Connect Music Store, that store that's still around. Yep. The soundtrack would include 31 tracks for a combined length of 58 minutes and 55 seconds. Gerard Marino led the team in the creation of the soundtrack, asking each member to bring their greatest ideas and strengths to the table for collaboration of, quote, some of the best music from some of the best composers. Chris Velasco contributed more melodic sounds, finding balance between melodies and accompaniment to ensure the aura he created would be recognizable throughout the rest of the soundtrack. And Mike Reagan and Ron Fish focus more on background development with ethnic sounding atmosphere. Which I really appreciate. I, I think the soundtrack is, it's a, it's a slapper. Mm-hmm. We'll say, well, I mean, it's a knee slapper, I might that even say. That slaps. <laughs> yes. I think that's what they were saying like a year ago. I think we're using that correctly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, I think it's a great soundtrack. And, and it's odd to bring on this many people to yeah. work on a game soundtrack, especially at that time. Well, th- yeah, especially when, like, we did have, like, uh, say, uh, Halo making video game soundtracks more popular, but it was still very much so in its infancy. So having... Yes, and having, you know, a strictly a main composer and then bringing in others to help, whereas mm-hmm. this actually being a collaboration project and working on different things, not just yes. doing an oversight. You know, you're going to do the background percussion aspect of it. You're going to do the melodic tones. You're going to do more of the spoken word that goes into it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that worked really well for this. And it really led to the rest of the music throughout the rest of the games and set the tone yes. that that it brought, even in the newer stuff. Mm-hmm. Even in the newer stuff, even in the, the, the you know, our last God of War and some of the soundtracks been released with it. It's, it's fantastic. Absolutely. These included using brass dominantly in certain tracks, as well as ominous men's choir chanting and fast-paced drumming accompanied by intense string hits. Winifred Phillips' strengths lied in her ability to create immense power within her ambient approach to sound. While she did score some of the more relaxing tracks using higher-pitched vocals, airy sound effects, and strings, Winifred also touched on the mysterious side. These tracks included an endless amount of ambient instrumentation, including gongs, chimes, panpipes, and a gothic choir. In March of 2010, the soundtrack would additionally be released as a part of the God of War trilogy soundtrack in the God of War 3 Ultimate Edition. The heavy metal tribute to God of War, God of War Blood and Metal, would be included as well in that God of War 3 Ultimate Edition. Mm -hmm. It featured six major artists from Roadrunner Records, owned by Warner Brothers. It included seven tracks, running a total of 37 minutes, all inspired by the God of War soundtracks. Hell yeah, metal. Yeah, so (laughs) so it takes it on. It becomes Brutal Legend, but not as cartoony, (laughs) with that heavy metal riffing. And unfortunately not with Jack Black. Yeah, that's your biggest miss right there. Can you imagine if Jack Black... Play Kratos. Kratos in the game. <laughs> but it's just Jack Black again. Yeah, he's just like kind of like painted as Kratos. I okay. I'd, I'd play it. Okay, yeah, please. It's a very old game. It sounds like a really simple mod. Please make that for us. Yeah, or just reach out to Jack Black on YouTube because that's what he's doing right now. <laughs> and just it. say, do you want this? And He'd say, probably say, yeah. Have him do it. Now, unfortunately, we obviously don't have the Jack Black release yet. 
But as far as the regular versions of it, we have the standard edition for the PS2, the greatest hits, the collection, which this would be the God of War 1 and 2 remastered for high def, which was released on the PS3 on November 17th, 2009. The God of War 3 Trilogy Edition. This bundle includes the God of War Collection, God of War 3, PlayStation Network downloadables, all three soundtracks, an art book, postcards, all in a gigantic Pandora's box. So this is a big collector's yeah. edition item for it. We need more stuff like this. We, we're going to say this every time, but we need cool stuff like this. Make more cool stuff. And finally, where everybody else played it, the PlayStation Vita. The most important release. The br- the breakout port of this game. The funny system that is still amazing today. I love I love the, the PSP and PS Vita. Fantastic systems. But yeah, so so now that we've really gone through a lot of this episode, let's talk about the general reception mm-hmm. and, and how did people feel about this? How was it perceived? And, you know, overall, how did it make an impact on gaming? And we'll start it out. Jesse, I'm going to I'm going to stop you right there. OK, I, I don't think anyone has said this better or really sold a game better than Richard Foch, which was the combat designer. And he says, quote, you should play God of War. Because it'll get you laid. It didn't get me laid, but... Now, 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 now. I think you were playing it wrong. (laughs) He just said play it because it'll get you laid. Were you actually playing it or did you just have it in the system? Because it's two different things. I played it. But did you play it? Okay. I wasn't embracing (laughs) my inner Kratos. You You just had to know. You just had to know. I mean, me and Richard, we knew when we were in, like, late middle school. We were ready for it. God of War was an instant hit amongst gamers. Most who played the game felt that it was something fresh, innovative, and just fun as hell to play. A majority of journalists and critics would praise the game as well, attributing their high scores to the combat systems, camera, and storytelling. Journalist Raymond Padilla felt that, quote, God of War is the best thing to happen to Greek mythology since Harry Hamlin played Perseus in Clash of the Titans. The graphics themselves would be a huge source of praise for the game, with some saying that they could stand up to the Xbox 360 graphics. I don't actually believe that. I'm pretty sure that was like one of the developers at the time that were saying that years later, but oh well. I mean, I, I would say it definitely stood up to a bit of it. It still pushed the PlayStation to its limits, and, and it really made it work. I, I will say that, yes. It, it was a good-looking game for its time, mm-hmm. through and through. The game has seen its fair share of scrutiny in the past, due to some of the extremely tedious puzzles and sometimes overly repetitive gameplay. Some have also expressed some sexist elements presented in the game, but most have brushed them off. I, you know, I lot of this with the succubus or, or some of the harpies and, you know, the, the exploitation of just like having like naked women around these Harlems. And so some people thought that as just unnecessary. We were seeing, but this what we were seeing this. I'm not saying this is like excuse. This was yeah. that era of Listen. that. All right, all right, Mr. Oreo McFlurry. <laughs> Coming on in here, creeping around. No, I was saying we saw that this was that era where we saw it a lot. And you know, we've since kind of moved on for the most part for that. But this was when it was super popular. It was. And it was still because this was also the era of like the man show. And like, yeah, we're in it because we're, we're tough guys and tough guys get the women. So yeah. it, it was a lot of that. And I understand the scrutiny that comes with it. God of War would sell over one million copies a year after its release and go on to sell over 4 million copies total. The game would earn a 94 out of 100 on Metacritic, and God of War would be the 6th highest selling console game of 2005. Next Gen Biz would rank God of War at 50 on their top 100 greatest games of the 21st century list. 
IGN named it Game of the Year, while also listing it on their top 25 PlayStation 2 games of all time at number 7. Complex Magazine named it the 11th best PS2 game of all time. The game would also go on to win a multitude of Game of the Year awards, the Spike Video Game Awards, and David Jaffe would win Designer of the Year. It hit the ground running, as mm-hmm. we had said before. It was something that not a lot of us had seen at the time, so everyone's going to be showering it with praise, as we had saw, and it's it's the start of a legacy, essentially. Now, God of War is proof that sometimes you just have to roll the dice when an individual wants to make a game. God of War is the product of David Jaffe's love for Greek mythology, violence, and adventure. Kratos himself has gone down as one of the most iconic video game characters of all time. Whether or not you've ever played a God of War title, chances are you know exactly who he is. Since the release of the first game, there have been several more God of War games, including two more mainline games and one spiritual reboot, all of which has proven to be extremely successful games. God of War is a franchise that for the most part has proven to be staple in video game history. Ever since 2005, the world has known the rage of the Ghost of Sparta, the Fallen Warrior, the God of War, Kratos, and his revenge on the gods of Olympus and anyone else who stood in his way. But now we are going to be talking about really the impact of this game. Why did we choose to cover cover this on the podcast? Mm-hmm. So Alex, please start us off. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you for passing the torch over to me. I really appreciate this today and all these awards you can give me for these. Uh, <laughs> what I'm about to tell you. No, so let's talk about God of War. Let's restart the entire podcast, apparently. No, it's it's we chose this because God of War, I know some of us didn't play this growing up. I know you and I kind of revisited this later. Mm-hmm. We never really were PS2 kids, you know, Nintendo all the way, Nintendo life. But we jump back into it knowing what we were getting into and thoroughly enjoying it in today's standards. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a game that changed the landscape of what kind of a hack and slash can be, you know, raising up the stakes making it this bloody but again it wasn't bloody over the top it was bloody for exactly what it was it made it this grisly gruesome game telling kratos's redemption or revenge story depending on how you want to see him Mm -hmm. that that really sold it for me and sold the playstation 2 kratos again is a mascot of the playstation today absolutely he's a stable character that's made it through and through and if we had only known what Sony was going to do with Kratos' story, I think that game would have sold 10 times as much. Yeah. Of, of knowing how he's going to be seen in later games, how he's going to be rebooted in this almost softer role. Yeah, yeah. This, this fatherly role. Yeah. It's done so well. And the take on Greek mythology, I'm, I'm a sucker for Greek mythology. I grew up with Age of Mythology, the game. That's how I know all of my, <laughs> my Greek, my Norse, my Egyptian, uh, my Olympians. That's how I know it all. So it's it's really awesome to see this come through and a fun button masher that actually keeps your attention. Mm-hmm. That's tough to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said, it's it's hack and slash with personality mm-hmm. and it is so brutal. I mean, and it even transfers, as we said, to today's standards because it, you feel like Kratos no matter what game you play. Mm-hmm. And it started with the combat system that they established for this game. Yeah, and, and you and you can see you can see their take on Devil May Cry, mm-hmm. and and Devil May Cry 
also has a very interesting backstory that I can't wait to tell you guys one day of just how that came about. But that set the precedent, that set this precedent for the rest of Sony to kind of follow and look at in terms of this chain combat, doing combos, keeping the player engaged, and making them feel like they are making their their conscious decision to do this combat. It's it's going to always be a, a, a game series that people are, when you bring it up, even I brought it up on social recently, and just people get excited. Yes. It, whether you're talking about the new one or this first one, especially this first one, it, it changed so much. And really, again, throughout the year seeing it change, it's awesome. Especially if you go from playing 2018 to the first one, it's it's still like the same, you know, brutality. It is, and, and, and it holds up with it. And it's it's so neat to see a studio take a chance on someone who, you know, knows their stuff, but is making a game for pretty much the first time. Yeah, so it's it's just awesome to see this uh, still being around today. But overall, that's why we chose this game. We chose this game because it's so important, and it's giving us some amazing games today. And, and, and we want to know, what did you think of God of War? Whether you played it on your OG PS2 that you're going to crack out tomorrow to play it again. Or create that mod with Jack Black for us. Yes, or create that <laughs> mod for Jesse. Please send that to him. Um, or, or are you more of a newer fan of it? Did you ever play the originals? You know, what? even if you didn't play it, you know the name. What did that mean to you? you know, in your gaming history of the mm-hmm. only way that you played? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said, it's... It's even gotten the new game got people to play the old game. I know just researching this episode is the reason I wanted to play the 2018 mm-hmm. title, which has now become one of my favorite video games of all time. So it was it was just cool revisiting this. Yes. And 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 again, discovering the backstory of this because I had I didn't really have any idea to find out that it was like David Jaffe just constantly being like, let me do a game. Let me do the game. And even when he pitched it the vice president wasn't really sold on it at mm-hmm. first. Like, that's crazy. But now, let's let's rate the game as we always do. Yeah, and Jesse, go ahead. Go ahead. Start I'll, us I'll, off. I will allow it. Thank you. So I'm going to give You're this... You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give this one 6.5 or 7 out of 10. Oh. And I'm, I'm saying oh. The, oh. the second game improves it. The third game improves it. Oh. You know, the mainline... T- the mainline titles, they get better and better. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree. It's it's one of those games where sequels typically in gaming will increase on what they've done or do a little bit better. And it does it does do it with this series. But I think this definitely laid that groundwork. And as we had touched on the episode, included a lot more of their ideas they had for the first one. Yeah. But for time constraints, memory constraints, and just for not being able to, to, you know, to hold off because they wanted to do a series, we do see that later. And if you want to include the whole series as a story, it's done extremely well to even introduce new elements for each piece that has come out. Yeah, and and my my score is quote unquote low, not because I think you know so lowly of the game, but just because the game's got better and better. You know, I think it's just because Jesse hates it and wants to be edgy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's got a ninety six in Metacritic, but Jesse be throwing it down the well. <laughs> just saying, you don't come at me. <laughs> I'll have I'll I'll have an Oreo McFlurry waiting for you behind the bush. As long as Jack Black's coming along, Jesse's there. <laughs> I've seen plenty of YouTube fight videos. I'm ready for you. <laughs> rate it for me, Alex. I will give you a rating. If I had to rate this, I would rate this 17 pieces of Kratos' family's dust that fell into his <laughs> eyes. Divide that 
um, by the number of arms that are chopped off and number of various limb pieces that are missing from various other creatures. Sounds like a lot. Quite a bit. Multiply that by Medusa, who is a Gorgon, by the way, if you didn't know your mythology, using stone vision, as I think the Greeks called it. They went, you got, you got, you got stone you, vision. You got stonified. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what they said in the Odyssey, obviously. Didn't you read the Odyssey? No, I just watched, I just watched uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Another great movie. Uh, add in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because why not? <laughs> Slap it on in there. Um, divide that uh, by not having more doors. I think the programmers could have thrown even more doors they had to custom code in there. With more variation? Yeah, more variations. I needed some doors that opened inward. I need doors that open outward. Doors that open vortex. Doors that don't open at all. But they do open. <laughs> you just got to think it because there's puzzles. You phase through them. And that equals the game. <laughs> <laughs> and that was our coverage of the brutal God of War. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. Cover art by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson. And music written and composed by Evan Barr. And as I say every episode... Who cares about those people? What we truly care about <laughs> are our patrons. Um, if you haven't seen, we updated our Patreon, have some really cool stuff on there. Jesse's been designing some cool art and some posters. We've got stickers. We've got a bonus show uh, that I just finished up, which is hilarious. We take a couple liberties with it, which is super fun, called From the Bargain Bin, um, as well as plenty of other bonus content that you can check out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. Let's thank those patrons today who are helping make this show possible. Let's go with Charles Zitter. Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Count Fong Feliciano, D Gamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Brendan Christian, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Big Papa Smechki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Van de Voort, Climbing Spork, Mr1898, and William Kroll. So thank you guys for the support and all that you do with us. It's a fun community. Um, and Jesse will let you know a little bit about that. Yeah, if you want to know just a little bit more, be sure to send us a message on either Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram after you give us a follow or like, of course. And if you want to ask us more personally, be sure to do it in our Discord. It is free for any and all. You know, we do have a Discord channel specifically for our patrons, but other than that, we have channels for just about anything you want to talk about. If you want to show off some of your creations or just talk about your favorite video games, join our Discord today and do so. And be sure to tune in, or later, or now, to twitch.tv slash sourman70, that's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0, where I will be streaming God of War plus various other games on there, um, different series that we're working on, but every Monday... Tune in to see the previous week's episode. So, yes. you know, if, if you're listening to this when it comes out, I'll be playing God of War this Monday. If not, whatever episode just recently came out, we will be exploring that game, discussing it in depth, and just having a good time. It's a fun community we're starting to build over there on Twitch. I'm having a great time. We're getting Jesse over there. We're converting him to be a PC boy and getting him on Twitch as well. Maybe one day. We will. <laughs> and be sure to give us a starred rating and written review on your favorite podcast platform. We would appreciate it and it helps us rank up. But as I had said, that was our coverage of God of War. Let us know how you felt about it. If you want to join our Discord, let us know. If you want to comment on our social media posts about it or on YouTube, please let us know. With that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs> <laughs>